Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Well, man, it's good to see you this morning. You know how anointed the preacher is by how big his sweat rag is. And so um, so y'all might might be in trouble today. This is my sweat rag today. Uh, Have you noticed that uh, this is true for all of us, that uh, if we're not careful, uh, we become wrapped up with money. I'm not talking about you got so much you're, you're consumed by it. I'm just talking about it, the fact that it's always, seems to always be on your mind. It doesn't matter whether you're spending it, earning it, investing it, exchanging it. The truth is for all of us that we think about money. In fact, uh, a recent survey says this, one out of four Americans think about money more than they think about anything else. I was like, well, like more than they think about Snickers? No, more than they think about anything else. And then it lists what they think about. Uh, they think about work, they think about family, and they think about sex. And it says that one out of four Americans think more about money than any of the rest of that stuff. That should not surprise us. You know why? Because uh, one of the great social commentators of our generation told us that that was true. His name is Snoop Dogg. And he said, money on my mind, and my mind is on my money. Some of y'all don't know. I'm about to get some swag on. I see some of y'all heathens up in here know who I'm talking about. Some, I, got, I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Don't, don't do the rest. Just that part. All right? We, so, so we know. So we know. But not only does it in, invade our minds, it invades our prayers. Uh, there's this preacher one day went to the church all by himself. He's in, in the sanctuary praying. And he asked God this question. He says, God, how, how long is a million years to you? And God said, one second. Actually, he asked for 10 million. 10 million years is one second. So he leaves the sanctuary. He goes home. Next day he comes back and he begins to pray. And he says, God, I got another question. How much is $10 million to you? And he hears God speak back. He says, it's just one penny. He goes, wow. And so he goes home. Next day, he comes back, prays again. He says, hey, God, I'm going to need to ask you a question this this morning. Uh, I need one of those pennies. (laughs) And he hears God say back to him, well, then just wait one second. Some of you will get that tomorrow. Okay, so, so, so it invades our, it invades our, our heart, our, our mind. It invades our, our, our prayer life. Um, but the issue that most of us face is that not only does it invade our minds and our prayers, here's the big issue, it invades our hearts. Um, and you might think that's not a big deal, but that's what makes uh, money funny in, in that uh, it, in, it gets a hold of our heart. That's why Paul addresses this to his spiritual son, Timothy. I want you to listen very carefully. I'm going to read it out of a little bit different version because some of you know this passage too well. In fact, if I asked you to quote it, you could quote it right now. The, the root of all evil is the love of money. You know that part of it. But listen to it like this. Out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, says, Do you want to be truly rich? Anybody? Okay. Oh, come on now. I'm going to have to get... Come, come on. You got your money? Okay. Okay. How many of you want to be truly rich? So y'all, I should have just put that one phrase up there and got rid of the rest because you know I'm asking you a loaded question. So then he tells us how. He says, you already are if you're happy 
and good. Don't we get the equation all wrong? We want to get all wrapped up in money. And, and, and he says, you're already rich if you're happy and good. After all, we didn't bring any money with us when we came into the world. And we can't carry away a single penny when we die. So we should be well satisfied without money if you have enough food and clothing. But people who long to be rich soon, to be, soon begin to do all kinds of wrong things to get money. Things that hurt them and make them evil-minded and finally send them to hell itself. Here it is. For the love of money is the first step towards all kinds of sin. Some people have even turned away from God because of their love for it. And as a result, they have pierced themselves with many sorrows. Here, here's what I want you to hear this, mo this morning. Money is funny because as we handle it, it handles us. I've noticed, uh, and Paul would uh, agree with me, I, I've noticed that, that as we exchange money, as we spend money, as we give, you, you literally give your life away for paychecks. That as we do that, if we're not careful and we don't stay on guard, that money stains us. It marks us. It causes us to do, some of us, it will even cause us to do things that we don't want to do. All because as we touch it, it seems to touch us. And because of that, I think that if we're not careful, what we do is we make a conclusion. We conclude that, uh, it, that, that money is dirty. One of the, the funny things about money is this, is that, that uh, money is not dirty. Can we, okay, we're, we're going to be in this for three weeks, so we've got we to set this as the foundation. For, this, is, this is bedrock for us. We've got to understand that, that even though uh, our series is called Money Laundering, How to Make Money Clean, and we want to find ways to wash our money and, and make it clean and make sure that we get off the stain, all the stains off of it, the truth is, is that money is not dirty. How we view it can become dirty. I, 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 want to, I, want to, I want to show you. I want you to see that Paul's statement to Timothy makes it very clear that money only becomes dirty when we come to the place that we love money. We misquote that scripture all the time. We say money's the root of all evil. No, it's not. The love of money is the root of all evil. In fact, uh, he makes a very straight, strong statement about that love. When we begin to love money, the, the, the issue is this. Our money becomes dirty if we love it because then we begin to do things we wouldn't normally do. But the truth this morning is this, is that money is absolutely neutral. It's neither clean nor dirty. It's just neutral. So, so what determines whether it's clean or dirty is how we view it and how we use it. So let me just show you as an illustration. Let's say I have uh, $20 in my pocket and I, and I walk out of here today how I view that $20 in my pocket or how I use that $20 in my pocket can determine whether it's clean or dirty. For instance, I can take that $20, I can walk out of here and I can go buy illegal drugs and it becomes dirty. I can take the same $20 and I can go feed somebody that's homeless, that's hungry, and they're starving to death, and all of a sudden the same $20, just because of the way I viewed it and used it, becomes clean. I can use the same $20 and walk out of here and walk into some convenience store somewhere and buy $20 worth of porn or I could take the same $20 and I can give it to send somebody on a medical missions trip and the only thing that has changed is the way I view that money and use that money and that determines whether it's clean or dirty. So we determine whether it's clean or dirty and when we give our hearts 
to money, it becomes tainted. Peter make, or Paul makes it very clear that if you're not diligent, then you can begin to love money and that you begin to have an affection for money and that you be, even begin to lust after money to the point that it becomes consuming. That's what makes money funny. Money becomes funny because money will persistently seek to capture a bigger and a bigger and a bigger portion of your heart and your life. Am I right? Okay, some of y'all know what I'm saying, all right? So, so this is what I want you to do. We're going to do an exercise. I want you to get a pen. In, in each row behind you, there's a pen, or in front of you, there's a pen. Grab a pen. Grab, uh, boy, I wouldn't normally do this because it costs us money, but I'm going to do it anyway. There's, there's offering envelopes. Don't use them all because you're going to need one later, all right? But, but, but at least, like, share one. Tear it up. Pass it. Just get each person next to you a little piece of paper. They just need a little piece of paper. Uh, by the way, whatever you write down on this is what your offering will be. Never mind. That's not true. I'm just lying. I'm, I'm just playing with you. All right, so you got a piece of paper, got a pen. You might have to share, tear it. Don't use them all because I want you to be able to give your offering later. All right, so, so you got a piece of paper. This is what I want you to do right now. I want you to write down how much money you think you need to be satisfied. <laughs> Whoo! Oh, some of y'all don't even want to participate. All right, go ahead. How much? Come on now. Nobody's going to see this piece of paper except God. No, I'm playing. Just you. You're the only one. You're going to shield it from God. God doesn't even know, all right? You, we, we, put a, we put a shield up at the ceiling so he, he couldn't even see in today. All right, so you're going to write down. How much money do you think you need to be satisfied? Come on, write it down. I know you got a number because some of y'all are... are so, uh, it don't matter because some of y'all, it's the same amount every month. Uh, the same for some people yearly would be your monthly. So it doesn't matter. Whatever. How much do you need? Let's do it yearly. How much money do you need in one year to be satisfied? Come on, think about it. I, I need, I need, I need like, uh, uh, Darren says he's writing down for a lifetime. All right. Write down for, I don't care. This is, nobody sees this but you. All right. How much do you need to be satisfied? All right. You got it? All right, don't hold it up because God can't see it. I put the shield up. I'm going to take the shield off here in a second. Can I just tell you that the truth is, is that you could have that much money and still never be satisfied. Okay, because this is what we've discovered. Money doesn't have the ability to be enough. We talk about this all the time. You even hear it out in society. There's a, a vacuum inside of you. There's a hole inside of you. And, and I got news for you. That hole is not money shaped. It's God shaped. And so the money, the, the amount of money, the dream, I, I got to have $17 million over my lifetime. I need $17 million a month. I need whatever it is you put down. The truth is, is that you could obtain that and still never be satisfied because money always comes up short. And this is what it does. It always leaves you needing more. Uh, so then as you need more, it captures your heart. It captures your life. It captures your thoughts. And Jesus addresses this. He tells this story in the New Testament. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to read one little portion to you. But you can turn there and read about it later on your own. It, you can go read it about, about it in Luke chapter 12. Jesus addresses this. I want you to notice what he does. Jesus tells us a story. Notice this. About a rich man. I did not say that he's telling the story about a poor man. Jesus says this guy is rich. Then Jesus says, notice now, uh, let's back up. He's rich, right? He's got ample supply. He's never going to lack for anything. He's never going to want for anything. His barns are already full of harvest. 
And Jesus says in this story that all of a sudden the man has an abundant harvest on top of that. He's got more than enough. He's got ample supply. And he says he's got, he'll never have to worry again in his life. And yet now another harvest comes on top of that. And it says that the, this rich man in his mind says this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go help the poor. I'm going to go help the homeless. I'm going to go help the hungry. No, it says instead what he decides to do is I'm going to go build bigger barns. And I'm going to stockpile. And I'll never have to worry. I can relax. I don't have to worry about my income anymore. Right? And Jesus makes this statement. He says he's a fool. Why? Because he put his trust in what he had. Okay, so, so I need you to understand that his fortune captured his heart and his fortune captures his dependence on God. So Jesus says he's a fool. In fact, I want you to listen to exactly what Jesus says. Jesus makes the statement in Luke chapter 12 verse 15. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And then he goes on and he says this, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fall where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart is also. It, money tries to make a heart grab. See, um, Jesus is simply saying this. He says, money is funny because enough is never enough. Uh, there's, a, there's a contemporary illustration. If I say the last name, you'll know who I'm talking about. The last name is Rockefeller. He, he uh, the Rockefeller Center in New York, I mean, this, this you know why they named the building? He was a billionaire. Uh, years and years ago, he's a billionaire. He's got more than, what we would say, more than enough. In fact, he could write on the paper whatever he wanted to write, and he would have it. And one day they asked him, uh, Mr. Rockefeller, how much more money do you need? And his response was this, just one dollar more. Why? Because money is never enough. Money seems to satisfy, but it won't. Money seems trustworthy, but it's not. The love of money and the dependence on money can overtake us. And when it does, this is what we do. We misplace our trust. And this is what happens. Our cash becomes our king. And our dollar becomes our deity. And if we're not careful, our money becomes an idol in our life. Because an idol is anything that comes between us and God. And we begin to worship it and spend our life on it. And it becomes our king. And we misplace our heart and our trust and Jesus teaches us that we have to be careful because if we're not careful, we will begin to mistake our provision for our provider. And I need you to hear me this morning. Is Jesus was never anti-money. Never. What he was is he was anti-trust in money. He knew where we needed to put our trust. He knew that money was a counterfeit. It's funny. It, it makes promises that it cannot provide. It, 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 it makes these... Uh, uh, the, the money says it'll bring you peace. Anybody ever had enough in your bank account that you could pay your house payment, your car payment, put gas in your car, eat every meal, but still have no peace? 
Can't sleep at night. Why? Because money's funny. It's a counterfeit. It's a cheap substitute. Uh, so so uh, this is not scripture, but I think it's important. I think it's uh, interesting. There's an old Chinese proverb that says this. It says, with money you can buy a house, but you can't buy a home. <laughs> with money you can buy a clock, but newsflash, you can't buy time. Uh, money, you can buy a bed, but you, can, you, can, you can't buy sleep. Uh, you, can, you can buy a book, but you can't buy knowledge. With money, you can buy a doctor, but you can't buy good health. You, with money, you can buy a position, but you can't buy respect. And with money, you can buy blood, but you cannot buy life. The heart of the matter is this, that Paul told us that we need to avoid loving money. And Jesus says this to us. He says, you must guard against making life about things because they both knew that money is really about trust. It's about trust. In fact, can I just submit to you this morning that regardless of whether we live in America or live in China or Japan or Russia, it doesn't really matter where you live. The truth of the matter is, is that the only reason that money works anyway is because of trust. I trust that when I pull $5 out of my pocket and lay it down on the counter that they're going to accept it and that they see worth in that piece of paper with ink on it and that they will exchange with me the goods that I want. It's simply trust. In fact, I want to say this to you and this may be a newsflash to some of you, but did you know that money in, in essence is a belief system? We believe that it will work. It's trust. So our own, the, the only way that we determine whether our money is clean is not by doing anything in particular other than this. We keep our money clean by not putting our trust in it. We maintain our trust level in the place that our trust should be placed in. And there's only one that our trust should be placed in and his name is... Jesus. He is our provider. In fact, I find it interesting that throughout Scripture uh, that we are, we are uh, implored, the Scripture just implores over and over and over again for us to place our trust in the right place. I want to read four passages of Scripture to you, and it may seem like, well, why are you reading all this Scripture? Because I need us to remember why. Why? And I want you to see, uh, maybe we need a shift this morning. We need to shift our, our, our trust back to where it belongs. Are you with me? Second, Second Corinthians chapter 9. Beginning in verse 8 says this. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. I should stop right there. Let it flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving. All because God loves hilarious generosity. Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything. He did not say that money would cause that to happen. It says God will give you more than enough of everything. Say, I'm going to say that again. He says, God will give you more than enough of everything. He, listen to this, He will make you overflow. He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. Just as scriptures say about the one who trusts, well, here it is, who trusts in him. I don't trust in my 401k. I don't trust in my insurance policy. I don't, entail, I don't trust in my bank account. My trust belongs in one place only. We even put it on our currency as if we need to be reminded, and we do. We put our trust in him. He says, 
If we put our trust in him, because he has sown extravagantly and given to the poor, his kindness and generous deeds will never be forgotten. The generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant towards you. First, he supplies every need plus more. Then who? He multiplies the seed as you sow it so that the harvest of your generosity will grow. He's telling us to put our trust back where it belongs. He says it again in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5. Trust, first fidelity bank. That's what Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says. Trust the government. No. He says this, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord with all your heart and don't depend on your understanding. Then in Proverbs chapter 8 verse 17 through 21. I love all who love me. Those who search will surely find me. I have riches and honor as well as enduring wealth and justice. My gifts are better than gold, even the purest gold. My wages are better than sterling silver. I walk in righteousness in path of justice. Listen to this. Those who love me inherit wealth. You say, well, Steve, you didn't see my bank account. You haven't seen my checkbook. Doesn't matter. Let's go back to what we read first. We're rich. If we're happy and we're good. Those who love me inherit wealth. I will fill their treasuries. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says this. My God. Not my bank account. Not my accountant. My God will supply all your need. According to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So my question. I've got a simple question for you this morning. A simple challenge. Do you love money more than you love God? Do you trust riches more than you trust God? Notice I didn't say, do you like money? Because, come on, let's be honest. How many of you in this room would be honest? And I'll be the first one to raise my hand. How many of you like money? Okay, I've, I've had it both ways. I've had money and I haven't had money. Can I tell you, having money is better. So I didn't ask you if you like money. I didn't even ask you if you need money. Because the truth is, is in our system, we need money. It's the belief system of our society. We need money. That's not the question. The question is this. Have you come to this place where you love money? Where you're wrapped up in money? Where it consumes your every thought? Where it becomes the goal of your life? If I can just get this much money, I will be satisfied. The question is not whether you like or need. The question is, have you come to this place in your own life where you've moved over into the dangerous zone where you love money? Because the next question coming out of that is this, is if the answer is yes, then can I challenge you with one more question? Do you love that more than you love God? Because if you've come to that place, Paul says that you've elevated money to a place of worship. And whatever you worship becomes your God. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that what we need to do in this room, before we can, we're in this for three weeks, before we can talk about first fruits, before we can talk about generosity, before we can talk about giving, before we can talk about offerings, before we can talk about tithe, before we can talk about any of that stuff, we must first establish this one fact. I don't love money. 
I will not let money dethrone God and become the God of my life. I instead will place God where he belongs. He's on the throne of my life. I will put my trust in him. Trust in him. Trust belongs to him. And so this morning, I just want to challenge you to examine your own heart and your own life. As we pray this morning, I want you to pray and ask, God, where does money rank compared to you? And if the answer is that money ranks higher, then we've got issues and we need to fix it. We can repent of that this morning and replace and move our trust back to Him. Father, this morning my prayer is simply this, that as we embark over the next couple of weeks talking about the thing, one of the things that is dearest to us, which is this belief system that we are involved in in this society, which is money, currency. I pray that in this moment right now, before we ever address anything else about money and how it impacts our life, I pray that you would help each and every one of us be honest enough. I'm asking each of us, Father, help us to be honest enough to answer this question. Do we love money? And I pray this morning what you would do, Father, is that you would help us to be so transparent and honest with ourselves that if money comes anywhere close to our trust in you, if our money has overwhelmed our mind, if our our money has overwhelmed our heart, if, if... this morning we've begun to we, we can honestly say our trust now is the stockpile I have it's my it's the the balance in my bank account it's what I've got put back for retirement if if we if we come to that place where our trust is in those things then this morning I pray what you would do is you would allow us to remember that our trust belongs to you I pray this morning that as we get ready to walk out of this place together I pray that individually we would come back to this place where I can say where we can say our trust is in the Lord we put our trust in you whether we're whether we're rich by society standards or poor by society standards doesn't really matter we put our trust in you Jesus we put our trust in you that all we in fact father we come to this place this morning we make this proclamation only you are more than enough only you will satisfy only you will keep us content I pray this morning that you help us to keep our mind on you and that we keep our heart on you. And I pray that as money comes through our hands and resources come through our hands, we would remember that you and you alone are worthy of our trust. Father, if there's one in this house that did not raise their hand earlier, that hasn't put their trust in you, I pray this morning that before they leave, they would put all their trust in you. I pray that we would relinquish control of our own life because we recognize this morning that you're trustworthy to give us everything we need in abundance. And so I pray that you would move on our behalf today. We place our trust in you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, touch your neighbor this morning and say, hey, money's kind of funny. Come on, tell them money's kind of funny. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.
Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. All right, so if you go to sleep, I'm throwing a rock at you this morning. So I'm just giving you, those of you that stayed up late to watch the game, if you go to sleep, I'm throwing rocks this morning. Amen? Not really, not really. We're talking about money laundering. We said last week that uh, we get wrapped up in our money, so let me get wrapped up in my money this morning. Makes me feel like I'm back in Israel where everybody's wearing prayer shawls. I don't think this would qualify as a prayer shawl. (laughs) But uh, uh, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I find most frustrating in life is uh, when I approach a machine that's supposed to work, and when I get there, it doesn't. For instance, a Coke machine, not that I like Coke, just that a a drink machine, let's put it that way, a drink machine, a snack machine, an ice machine, a cash register, an ATM machine, doesn't matter. All I know is when I approach it and it's supposed to work and it doesn't work, I get frustrated. It doesn't even matter if someone got there before me and realized it didn't work and put an out of order sign on it. It still frustrates me when it doesn't work the way it's supposed to be. It was promising in its appearance, right? It looked like it was going to work. It it, it looked like it would provide relief to my thirst. It looked like it would satisfy my hunger. It looked like it would make uh, the provision uh, available to me that I need, and, and yet it doesn't fulfill the promise that was attached to it because it was out of order. When something is out of order, it doesn't work properly, and it does not fulfill its purpose, and it can cannot operate according to its design. All right, so we're talking about being out of order. If you have attended here more than 30 seconds, you have heard me talk about order. We have established on multiple occasions that God always works in order. It begins in Genesis when he, does, when, he, when he starts creation. He didn't create a bird and then create a sky. He created a sky, then he created a bird. He did not create a fish and then say, oh, I messed up. I got to have some water for this fish. He got it right. He did things in order. It continues when the children of Israel uh, are marching. The Bible says they march in order by tribe. There was an established order by which they would go through their, their daily routines and they would march. Nobody decided, hey, on this day, I think I want to lead. And they would just go up to the front and start leading. There was an established order that they marched in. It penetrated their worship. We've talked about that. There was an established order of worship. Then it even begins to penetrate into the New Testament and we see that it carries over into the church so that now there is order in service. You can go read how services are supposed to be and what's in order and out of order and how it's supposed to be run, right? There's order. It carries over in how people are selected for leadership. There's an order that takes place. God is a God of order. Touch your neighbor and say he's a God of order. Come on, tell him just so that you remind him. So, so if order matters to God, as much, I'm telling you, if you, if you want an interesting Bible study, just go begin to look for order in Scripture. If order matters to God that much, that the entire book is filled with order, then it should matter to us and it should grab our attention to make sure that we recognize that if we are out of order, we will not be blessed. 
That was worth the price of admission right there and you missed it. If we are out of order, we will not be blessed because I know a whole lot of folks that are out of order that want to, okay, never mind. So, so I want to submit to you that this morning that is what is true for a Coke machine or a drink machine or a snack machine or an ATM machine or a cash machine is also true when it comes to our provision and our resources and our money. Okay, so here we go. When it is out of order, it doesn't work properly. I'm, okay, I didn't expect to get a whole lot of amen. So, so I think too far, far too often what we do is we don't get the order right in our finances. And then this is what happens. We begin to hope against hope. We begin to even pray. We begin to seek God and say, God, can you help me? Can you bless me? Can you turn this around? And, 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 and then all of a sudden, we're, although we're out of order and we're believing for it, what we discover is that we find ourselves in dire straits and we don't understand why. And we begin to blame God when the truth is, is that we're foolishly expecting the results that only come from operating in order. So let's talk about this because see, here's my, here's my plan. I need y'all to understand. I have a plan. There is a hidden agenda in this whole series. And I know what some of you think it is. Some of you think that the hidden agenda in this whole series is to get the church more money. Come on now. Don't look at me like that. I know, I know some of y'all even talked about it on the way home. Like he's preaching about money because he wants the church to get more money. Can I tell you the real hidden agenda here? I want you to be blessed. I don't have to worry about the church getting more money. The lights are on. The heat is on, kind of. I mean, it's on good enough for me. I don't know if it's going good enough for you, but it's on. The bills are paid. It's not like we're coming down to about to close the doors. None of that. We are in good shape. This church, can I just tell you, some of you don't care, but I'm going to tell those of you that do, we, we are in good shape. We handle your, the resources that come through our church very frugally. There's not a lot of fluff there. We don't just waste it. We're, we're good stewards of it. You can see the books if you want to. We don't care. Open books. That is not the hidden agenda of this message or this series. The hidden agenda is this. I want you to be blessed. I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to get something to you because I would much rather see you blessed. I, I, it's more enjoyable in my life to walk around knowing that the people that attend Passion are blessed rather than cursed. I don't set up at my house and go, oh, I like the fact that they're cursed. I, I like to see them struggle. I like to see them not be able to pay their bills. I, I like seeing them not being able to just barely scrape out. Ooh, that makes me feel good. What in the world, man? I want you to be blessed. Blessed, abundantly blessed. More than you've ever thought or dreamed of. So, so in order for that to happen, then we got to understand two basic truths. All right? This is just, this ought to be kindergarten teaching, but we're going to hit it again until we get it. Because not all of you have got it. The first thing I want to tell you this morning is this. Order dictates outcome. I'm going to say that again. Order dictates outcome. So, let me break it down. Right order is blessed. Wrong order is cursed. Okay, y'all looking at me. So if you don't believe that, I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. If you don't believe that, go build a house and then draw the blueprints. If you don't believe that order is blessed and, and out of order is cursed, go build a house and then go to the city and ask for permits. And see what happens. 
If you don't believe that order is best and that out of order is cursed, well, I want you to do me a favor this on Monday, this coming Monday, I want you to just go to some car dealership, ask to borrow the keys to the car, and just drive it home. And then about three weeks later, walk back into the same dealership and try to work out payment plans. See if they don't come to your house before then. Yeah, if you don't think that order is blessed and out of order is cursed, then do this. I, I want you to go to the bank first thing Monday morning. Not your bank, just a bank. And make a withdrawal before you've ever made a deposit. Wear a mask while you do it because that's the only way you're going to get it. But there are results. Order dictates outcome. Uh, if you don't believe that, go to a garden. I know some of y'all are not gardeners. But go to a garden and try to reap a harvest before you ever sow any seed. Order dictates outcome. And when you do things out of order, the results change. According to the order. Only, only dictated by the order. Okay. So we, we should have learned that in grade school. Let me, let me help you out. When you, went, when you were getting ready to go to grade school, y'all remember, we all, back then, the schools weren't so crowded, so we all had our own locker. Like, and one of the highlights was, I get my own locker, and then either your parents or the school would issue a, a device from the devil called a combination lock. <laughs> and you had to memorize three numbers, you know, whatever. Whatever the numbers were, some of you still remember them, but whatever the numbers were, but, but just knowing the numbers would not open the lock. You had to know the order, right? Two turns to the left, one turn to the right, straight back left to the last number, right? And if you, you could get the right numbers all day long if you didn't put them in in the right order and get the right number of spins. It would not work because order dictates access, unlocking, outcome. So, so there is an intended outcome attached to all the resources that God sends your way. There is an intended outcome. What is it? Vacation? Is it a retirement plan? No, you're in the intended outcome of all the resources that God sends to you is this, blessing. He's trying to bless you. God wants to bless the resources that he entrusts us with so that we, they will go further and accomplish more than we ever imagined. However, the order that we handle them in dictates the outcome. It determines, listen to this, whether it is blessed or cursed or whether it is clean or dirty. You... You participate in money laundering by how you, the, the order in which you handle the resources. Okay, I know this is elementary, but y'all just wait because I'm going to mess with you here in just a minute. See, God makes the order clear. I want, you, I want us to look at that, this, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. The order is established very early on in Scripture. It's established in the Old Testament and it is carried on into the New Testament. I'm not going to move. I'm, listen, if you want to come and talk to me and say it doesn't carry over into the New Testament, I dare you. Okay, because I can prove it does. But I want to show you the beginning so you understand how important this stuff is. So very early on, Moses instructing the children of Israel starts talking about the order very early. So let me, let me, 
I want you to see the revelation by what he calls them. Are you ready? Exodus chapter 22, verse 29. You shall not delay to offer from the full. He mentions this, this, uh, this term over 13 times in the first five books of the Bible. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Now I want to stop right there because uh, in this passage he talks about firstborn. It's intriguing to me that Christians will offer their children to God. But not their checkbooks. Okay, I just threw that in there. All right, so... um, so the firstborn, so he starts it right there, then he continues it in Exodus chapter 34 verse 26, he says, the best of the first fruits of your, of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 10, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, anybody reaped a harvest here in the land? Sure you have. You're living better than 99% of the world. Right now, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 4. The first fruits of your grain, of, of your wine, and of your oil, and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give him. Second Chronicles chapter 31, verse 5. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all the produce of the field and they brought in abundantly and here the term changes the tithe he says they brought the first fruit then he switches it and says they brought the tithe of everything Solomon continues and this is on the screen for you because I think it says it the most succinctly and straight to the point Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 and 10 honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine can't get any blunter than that and then Ezekiel agrees in Ezekiel chapter 44 verse 30 he says the first of all first fruits of every kind and of every contribution of every kind from all your contributions shall be for the priest you shall also give to the priest the first of your dough different double entendre there on my part uh, the first of your dough to cause a blessing to rest on your house so the name that Moses established and is carried all the way through the Old Testament is a term is this term, first fruits. First fruits. We saw once where it begins to be called the tithe. In the New Testament, it's called the tithe. But Moses calls it first fruits. Interesting. You got to remember that Moses has now established and revealed that the promise of, of dictated outcome is attached. To order. Okay, it's quiet up in here. Okay, so the Hebrew word for first fruits, and I'm going to butcher it, is this. Bekurim. That's the Hebrew word. It means, literally translated, promise to come. So in other words, God is telling them that if they brought their first fruits to him, that he would bless all that came afterwards. They understood that there was a promise connected to the order, not the amount, although there is an amount. It wasn't about the amount, 
It was about the order. So in other words, what we now call the tithe, which, uh, I mean, this is basic stuff, but I'm hoping, I know some of y'all never heard some of this stuff. We call it the tithe. When we get ready to end the service, Pastor Andrew's going to come up and the ushers are come down with our fancy little buckets and they're going to, he's going to say, we're going to wait on you for your morning tithes and offerings. We call it tithe. Do you know what tithe means? One-tenth. That's literally what it means. One-tenth. When we present the one-tenth to God in the right order, he declares, not, not us, not Andrew, not the board, nobody, no. God declares that when we present the first one-tenth of our income, our first fruits, that the, the other 90% is washed clean, redeemed by what we did with our first fruits. Okay, so... Giving our first fruits reminds us that God is our ultimate priority. It shows us that we are shows God that we are obedient to him and that we can be trusted with more. I don't know about you as a parent, but if I can't trust my kid with the, what I've already given them, why would I give them more? Okay, I'm going to get off that cuz you didn't like that at all. Okay, so so God commanded that the tithe be given first. 10% is the amount, not the order. And some of us get the amount right, but we miss the order. Okay. And if you miss the order, newsflash, you're out of order. And if you're out of order, it doesn't work right. Okay, so the second thing is this. Not only does order dictate outcome, order reveals importance. Order reveals importance. So by that, then what I can say is that some of you, I know, you think that OG&E and ONG and your landlord is more important than God. I'm just, come on now, we're just having family discussions. There ain't nobody, it's just us. I'm just, I'm just laying it out here for us. By the, our order, by the way we handle the resources, the order that we handle the resources in our life with reveals what we think is important. Okay. Um, the blessing is commanded only when it's done in order. Okay, I'm going to read you the, 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 the blessing here in a minute. But I, I just, I'm trying to help you here. The blessing is only commanded. Only. Well, I don't like what the, the, the command is. doesn't matter what you like. Your opinion is not appreciated here. God has an order that he has set. We don't get to argue with him about it at all. God is not very good at negotiations. <clears throat> well, he is. He's great at negotiations. He always wins. And he, the way he negotiates is like this. I said it. You do it. You think I'm black and white, you ought to meet God. His way, it's always his way. And he sets the order, and he says there's a commanded blessing only when it's done in order. So let, let, I'm going to get really deep. I want you to hold on, because some of y'all are going to have to really think about this statement right here. This is so profound. Hold on, this is going to blow your mind. Are you ready? Here it is. First is only first when it's first. I know. Let me just hesitate right there and let that soak in. That's so deep. So deep. But why then do we keep acting like first is first when it's sixth? 
oh, okay. Because if first is not first, then it's not first. And then if first is not first and it's not first, then what we are calling first that's not first, is, and it's no longer first, is then leftovers. It's leftovers. And you cannot call tithe first fruits if it's the last thing you pay. Well, I want to pay all my light bills, and I, I need to pay my car bill, and I need to pay my, I, I, I need to get my vacation paid for, and I got to get my kids' shoes, and I, I, I've, got, I've, got a, I've got a pet that needs some pet food, and, 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 and I, I, I'd like to get a new air freshener for my car, and, and about 19th on the list, if I have anything left over, then I will pay my tithes. Fine, you've got the amount right. The order is wrong, therefore order dictates outcome and order reveals importance and God goes, I come after dog food and air fresheners and tennis shoes and I appreciate your 10%. The only problem is I can't bless it because you gave it out of order. Okay. First means first. This is why, this is why I'm bringing this up. There are a lot of you, listen, uh, let me say it like this. We're part of a network of churches. There's 26 or 7 churches in the network that we're a part of now. Many of them, uh, not all of them, but many of them are much larger than us. Uh, there's a church in Virginia that runs over 1,000. One in Dixon, Tennessee, over 1,000. Several that are four or 500. Can I tell you that the people in the network are always amazed by our level of giving? I'm just telling you straight up. So I told you transparently. For the size of congregation we have, you guys give incredibly, well, most of you give incredibly generously. So that's not the issue this morning. My concern is, is that some of you that are giving are not being blessed. You're giving the right amount. You're just giving it out of order. And you keep waiting around going, well, I'm doing what God said to do. I'm giving 10% of my income and I'm not seeing any blessing. And remember the hidden agenda. I want to see you blessed. So maybe the only thing that you need to tweak is the order. Get the order right. Order dictates outcome. I, I can make a guarantee to you that if you get the order right, plus the amount right, that the intended outcome will take place in your life. I can guarantee it. And we're going to get to that in a minute. It will happen. I'm living proof that it will happen. Many of you in this room are living proof. Some of you have literally been giving faithfully for years. But you don't, you don't see the blessings that you thought you would see. Simply because you need to tweak the order. Okay. I want you to listen. Here's God's guarantee. I'm going to read it to you in black and white. In black and white. You're familiar with this passage of Scripture. I hope you're thinking in your own mind. I hope some of you right now are doing in your own mind. You're bill paying. Although I don't want you to see tithes as bills. It's not because in fact you're not paying God back anything. You're giving back to Him what He's already given to you. In fact the first 10% is not even yours. I can prove it to you. Okay here we go. Here we go. Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 12. Listen to, Listen. For God's guarantee. Powerful passage of scripture. Many of you know it. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. That ought to scare us. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You, okay, here you are. If you don't do first fruits in the right order. This is God speaking. He says, you are cursed 
with a curse. For you are robbing me. Oh man, okay. The whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and hereby put me to the test. It's the only place that I can find that God says test him. Try him. Try him. Just go ahead. I, it's almost like God saying, look, I dare you. I, in fact, I double dog dare you. Try me in this. Try me in this. If you'll give, just try me. Says the Lord of hosts. If, he says, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, once you get the order right, he says, I'll open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more room or no more need. I will rebuke. I'm, man, this is the greatest part. This isn't even about money. I just like this. I like the fact that I will rebuke the devourer for you. I'd rather have God working for me than against me. He sees things coming I can't see. And when I do it in the right order, in the right set of, according to the instructions, he says that he goes to work on my behalf and begins to protect me. Okay, y'all don't have to like that. I kind of like that. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fall, fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So he says, try me. Follow my instructions. Do exactly as I command you to do. Do it in the right pattern, in the right order, and you will find out that the order dictates outcome because the order reveals the importance in your life. There is a guarantee there. God is making a guarantee that if you will do what he says to do, he will bless you. There's a guarantee there. He says, try me. Put me to the test. See if I'm not telling the truth. Do it right. And I'll bless you. So maybe this morning you have the amount right, but you have the order wrong. Or if maybe you're already given 10, 10%, maybe all you need to do is tweak where it falls in the, in the order of importance. Make first is only first if it's first. And when we give it first, then it becomes, in, it gets in order and then we're blessed. So, God guarantees that in, in, that in order giving will result in blessings that we cannot contain. Okay, so, let me illustrate. Uh, Tar, you may be my microphone holder here in just about one second. Okay, I want you to watch this jar right here. Okay, nothing special about the jar. The jar it's just a jar. Come here, Tari, be my microphone holder. All right, I'm going to, and this is hot, I'm going to uh, fill this jar with these rocks, all right? And the goal is to get this jar full. Okay, big rocks. Okay, I don't think I can get any. So, let me get these out of the way. So, you can see I can't get any more. I could get it overflowing. But you do recognize, is this jar full? It's not. Okay, let's see if we can fill it up. Is this jar full? No. Now I'm not talking about right here. I'm talking about okay. <laughs> Y'all are hard to impress. Okay. 
All right, for all intents and purposes, is that full? Yes. All right. Please don't break. I'll shake you for it. All right, is that full? No. Okay. Slowly. Okay, we don't have time to wait on it. So, so let let's play like we got all day, and I can just keep putting sand in it and putting water in it. It's going to run. We would say once all the gaps are filled. That it's full, right? So what's the lesson? That, that God can get us more than we ever imagined? No. The lesson is about order. Because if you want to get what's most important deposited, you've got to put it in first. The fact is, this, this morning I could take a similar jar and I could fill it with a little uh, aquarium gravel, pour sand in it, water in it, fill it to the brim, and then all of a sudden go, oh, wait a minute, I wanted to put the big stuff in and I'll never be able to get it in. And the reason some of you never get first fruits right is because you've got all this other stuff. You've got bills and shoes and cars and pets and kids and electricity and Starbucks and I like to eat out five times a week and, and all that stuff. And then at the end you go, wait a minute. I forgot to give God his, and all of a sudden, there's no room. You don't have anything left. Be simply because you were out of order. And so I just want to challenge you this morning that what we got to do is we got to do it in the right order. We got to get the big stuff in, tied number one, first is first. Then whatever else is next in importance, where you live, your bills, who you owe money, all that kind of stuff. Take care of that. Do it in the right order and watch and see if God doesn't take your money and wash and redeem the last 90% and see if it doesn't go further than you ever thought possible. So what we're going to do this morning is in your chair, there's this little piece of paper. You've seen it before. We did this last year. It's called God's Guarantee. It's simply a reminder that God's Word works. You may say, well, Steve, I already tithe. I already give first fruits. This is just as much for you. I'm going to fill one of these out today because I need to be reminded why I do what I do. So that it didn't, I just throw it in there because I've, from the time I was two years old, or I don't know when I got my first dollar allowance, whenever that was, uh, uh, I, I was given tithe. But if I'm not careful, I just do it and I don't ever even think about what I'm doing. I'm putting God to the test. So maybe you're here this morning and you've been faithfully giving first fruits. It's the first thing you write every month or every week. I still want you to fill one of these out as a reminder. But there are some of you here that need to get the order right. Some of you are paying your tithe, but you're paying it out of order. I just want you to sign this thing as a reminder that I'm going to do my best to get first first. But there are some of you in this room that have never really been faithful in your first fruits. And I want you to understand that what you're doing is you're making a commitment that when I try this, I'm going to try this for 90 days. 
This is how sure we are as a body. Because I could hand the microphone around the room and there would be people to testify of God's faithfulness that His Word always works when you do it in the right order. So if, if you're in here and you don't give, we're giving you nine, we're asking you for 90 days. Do it for 90 days. Do it in the right order. Do it the right way by putting it in an envelope so that we know it, writing your name on it, giving it online so we can track it for, for 90 days. Give 10%, the first fruits of your life. And if God doesn't bless you in the first 90 days, you mean I'm going to get a new Cadillac? That's not what I said. Maybe no money attached, but if he blesses you, blessing's not always money. But within the first 90 days, if you don't see God blessing you because you've been doing it in the right order the way he said, you can come and ask us and we will give you a refund of everything you've given. Money back guarantee. You say, why? Because God's guarantee works. So I'm going to pray with you this morning. And I want you to remember, you got to do the important stuff first. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that what would happen in our life in this moment is we would evaluate what is important. We recognize this morning that you have giving, given us very explicit instructions about how we are supposed to handle the resources that come into our life. We even sang about it this morning, that good comes flowing down. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. doesn't come from our boss, doesn't come from our job, doesn't come from the government. It comes directly from you. And when it comes into our life, you've given us instructions on how to handle it. We try you. I test you, God, that, that you are faithful to your word. And I pray that you would... I pray that you would challenge each and every one of us in how we handle those resources. And I pray that if we haven't been doing it in the right order, we would get it in the right order this morning. Even if we've been given faithfully the right amount, but we haven't been giving it in the right order, I pray that you would challenge us to get it in the right order. And Father, if there's one here that says, I haven't been given at all, I pray this morning that they would take this 90-day challenge and that they would recognize that at the end of 90 days you have blessed them abundantly simply because you honor your word and you're faithful to your word and you take care of your own. And I pray that you'd show yourself strong in our finances so that we can glorify and honor you and so that everything will be in order and it will work according to your plan and your provision in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Come on, my angel. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress.
Well, good good morning, and it's uh, so good to see you this morning, and we're delighted that you're here. Aren't you thankful for our worship team that leads us into the presence of the Lord each week? Come on, give them a hand clap this morning. I know um, they would be the first to say it's really not about them, but at the same time, we give honor to who honor is due, right? So we're so glad to see you. Everybody doing all right this Thanksgiving week? Ready to get your turkey on? Your grub on, okay, some of y'all not ready yet, but uh, it's coming, it's coming. You can repent today before, I think there's pre-repentance, isn't there? I don't, I don't know, I don't, ask for, probably not, but we're going to do well this week. We're glad you're here. A um, couple things before we get started this morning. In your seat, there's a card that looks like this. I want you to grab this real quick, and a pen. Uh, you know that normally, uh, each week we pray over our movers. Uh, it's 10 people that you've written down that you want to see saved that you know that don't know Jesus. But this morning, we want you to get even more specific. We want you to become very intentional. And so what I'm going to ask you to do as you're listening to the message today, I want you to multitask. In, in your mind, I want you to begin to think about three people that you can uh, help do this with. I want you, to, uh, this has got five slots. Okay, we're going to go to five because uh, we all should know five people that don't know Jesus. What we're asking you to do is to write down five people that you will personally do a couple things for you. First, you will invite them. We're going to give you two opportunities to invite them. One on December the 22nd, that's a Sunday morning, and then on the 24th, which is Christmas Eve at four o'clock. Both services will be entirely different, but uh, you have two opportunities. So the number one thing you're going to do is you're going to write their name down and you're going to pray for them. And then second, you're going to invite them to one of those services. And then third, because they're new, you are also going to make an agreement that if you can get them to come back on the first Sunday in January, we will have one of our VIP meals or the second Sunday in January, we'll have a VIP meal as well. And you are invited to join them to eat here on those Sundays. And so while you're listening to the message today, if you would multitask and really think about the, who the, uh, that, that the Lord would want you to speak to, talk to, pray for, invite, sit with, serve with, come, get them to come see you, whatever you got to do to get them here, kidnap them, hold them hostage, whatever is required, write them down. And then at the end of service, when we take up our tithes and offerings, you can drop that in the bucket and our staff will begin to pray over them for the next few weeks, asking that God will partner with you and begin to prepare their heart. All right, will you, will you do that? Will you participate with that? This is an important time of year. It is one of the most significant times of the year because people's minds and hearts are turned towards what, even if they, even if they seem totally secular in, in their thought process, they understand, most of them, that behind the story of Christmas, the real truth is there. Amen? And so it's a prime opportunity. Well, this morning... We're going to uh, wrap up our series on money. We've been talking about money. We, we started this off and talked about the fact that it seems like all of us get wrapped up in our money, right? And so uh, I'm not going to wrap this around my neck today because then when I go home, my, my clothes are wet from sweating. So, so th we, we've been wrapped up. We've been talking about how do we make our, our money clean? Some of y'all don't even know what this is because you're way too young, but you used to do laundry like this. I didn't do it either. So uh, uh, before machines, and we want to make our money clean. So we've been talking about money. Why talk about money in church? Why is it important? Surely you're just talking about money because you want more of it here at the church. I said to you last week, I want to repeat it to you this week. I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to get something to you. 
And, and we believe that the Holy Spirit works with us. And we talked about God's guarantee last week. We'll talk a little bit about, about that today. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, our bank statements are perhaps the greatest evidence of having minds that have been tr truly transformed by the grace of God. Let that sink in for a moment. Our our bank statements. Craig Bloomberg calls the way we take care of our material possessions the most important test case of one's profession, profession of discipleship. And he says that materialism is the single, single biggest competitor with authentic Christianity for the hearts and souls of millions in our world today. Money is an extremely important topic for us to talk about in church because every one of us handle money and if we don't learn to handle our finances, handle the provisions that God places in our life correctly, it impacts the entirety of our entire, of the rest of our life. And so we must do that. So, so now let me set the scene. Most of us, the truth is this, this series is called Money Laundering. Most of us in our lifetime, now I don't know, I don't know all your stories because some of y'all may be a little scarier than I know, but but, but most of you, I think, are, are probably similar backgrounds to mine. The truth is, is that most of you have never come into contact with people who actually do money laundering. Uh, okay, don't tell me if you, you have because I've got a better opinion of you than that. But, but most of you have never had an experience where you're running around with people that are involved in money laundering. But most of us have watched enough movies to know and, and make have an opinion of money launderers. We have this opinion that people who are involved in the process of laundering money are seedy, right? They're a little bit shady. They're kind of on the backside of society. They try to hang out in the shadows. They don't want anybody to know what they're doing. They're just a little bit seedy, right? Okay, am I right? Am I wrong? Am I right? Come on, talk to me. Okay, okay. So, so um, what I want to do uh, with taking a risk at offending you at the outset of a message, I just want to look at you this morning and tell you to your face that you are the seediest people I have ever met in my life. All right, and what I want, to, I want to try to do is I want to encourage you and challenge you as the seediest people that I know, I want to challenge you to come out of the shadows and handle your seed correctly. Uh, let me see if I can explain. Uh, let, let, let's see. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, verses 6 through 11. Listen carefully what it says. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also, listen to this, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
I'm going to read that, a little portion of that out of a different version. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. I, there are so many lessons that I can teach you out of this passage. Uh, I'm going to skip over most of them. I'm just going to mention them and then you can go do, do your own research and study uh, because some of them are, are repetitive and you've heard them all your life. Like there's a classic lesson in here and that is this. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. How many times have you heard that in church? I mean, that's been preached until you're going, I've heard that before. Uh, W.S. Plummer says this. He said it best when he said, He who is not liberal with what he has does deceive himself when he thinks he would be liberal if he had more. That's pretty good. And we know most of you have been taught that if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Okay, it's awful quiet in here this morning. So, so the, the writer's also trying to teach us this lesson, that we participate with God to determine the return on what we have. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. We know that we participate in our own harvest. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, The generous soul will be made rich, and who who waters will also be watered himself. So we know that lesson. There's another lesson I could teach you that it isn't really about the amount, it's actually about your heart. It's about your attitude. God loves a cheerful. Another version says this. It, it literally translates into hilarious. He loves a hilarious giver. In other words, the, one of the lessons that we learn from this passage that you probably already know is that sometimes the most significant and important giving you ever participate in is the one that makes no sense. Like, I don't think I have anything to give and I give and God blesses me. Anybody ever done that where, where you feel the compulsion of the Holy Spirit to give something and you're like, I've only got 60 bucks in my wallet and I, I'm, I don't have any gas in my car. I don't have any lunch money. My kids are needing new shoes and you want me to give all 60 bucks and God says yes and you give it and before you can walk out, somebody blesses you. Anybody? Am I the only one? All right, I got some, I got some testimonies in the room that sometimes it makes no sense because it's not about the amount it's about our attitude whether we believe God owns it all I could point you to the account Mark chapter 12 when Jesus observes and then celebrates the widow who gives two cents compared to the thousands of dollars that the religious important people are giving and Jesus celebrates the fact that she's giving everything that she has because he recognizes that generosity is not about what's in your bank account it's about what's in your heart in fact, I want you to hear me this morning. I'm really not talking to you about being generous inside the church this morning. What I want to challenge you to do is for us to evaluate how we can take the generosity that we express in here. Because I've already told you, you guys are very generous. So how do we get that and we move it beyond these four walls? Because generosity is not just about money. It's about uh, sharing things like forgiveness and grace and friendship and love. I will come back and submit to you that oftentimes, if, we, if we're honest, we, we can say this, is that even though generosity isn't about money, it is, it is usually best revealed by how we use our money. So it's not just about money, but how we handle the provisions, financial provisions that God gives us is a good indication about whether or not we have a generous heart or not. 
generosity is something that we must become about. Warren Worsby says this. He says, giving is not something we do. It's something we are. It invades our entire life. And so since, uh, since you guys have been in church for so many of you for so long and you've heard all those uh, lessons, I'm not going to teach any of those lessons. I already taught them, but I'm not even going to mention them anymore, all right? Because I want to focus on two lessons out of this account that I want you to get. I think they're game changers for us. The first lesson I want to teach you this morning is this. I want you to know that he will supply seed. He will. You go back and read that passage of scripture before you, uh, uh, before you leave again. Just, just flip back and read it again. And what you will discover is that there is a promise contained in that passage that we pass over. He says very specifically, he will supply seed. It doesn't say he might. It doesn't even say that he's selective. And, and so, uh, so that we come to, some of us have come to this conclusion. Well, he'll give that person seed and that person seed. They must be super Christians because I don't have any of that seed. What's the problem, God? No, there's no, there's no selective criteria mentioned. It's just that those that belong to him, he will supply seed. Period. Will. He will. He will. That means this morning I can look at you and say and declare with no hesitation, you are seedy. That's why we can lay claims to, 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 to promises that are contained in scripture. Like, like uh, if we seek his kingdom first. Y'all know that one? He'll add all this other stuff to us. If we seek his kingdom first, we become seedy. I can lay claim to promises like this. We've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Enclosed in that proclamation, I will never see the righteous forsaken. That's the promise of his presence. But it also says that we will never see their children begging for bread. That all, that, there's the promise of provision. We are seedy. I'm looking at the seediest people that I've ever met in my life because God has promised he will supply seed. It's there. It's there. Uh, that, that, I need you to understand what that does. That levels the playing field. That means that regardless if you're rich in your own eyes or you're poor in your own eyes, that means whether you're rich by the standards of society or poor by the standards of society, according to God's word, the, level, the playing field is level and we all have been supplied with seed. Come on, touch your neighbor and look at them. I know you've been wanting to do this. Touch the person you're sitting next to. Look at them right square in the eye and say, you seedy. You just seedy. I know you. Yeah, you're seedy. You're seedy. See, we need to get this because I, can I help you this morning? Can I help you this morning? What this does is it gets rid of the victim mentality. Uh, in this day and age, we need to hear this truth right here. The fact that God has promised that he will supply seed, that it is a given fact that we can't get away from it, it is a guaranteed fact, then that gets rid of our victim mentality. I have nothing mentality. I'm not positioned to be generous mentality. You don't know my bills. Argument goes by the wayside uh, because he's promised that he will supply ample seed. Ample seed. Man, y'all quiet up in here. I guess because I offended you and told you you were seedy. Because some of y'all think, but, but you're seedy. So, so there's another truth, second truth. Because if, if scripture says he will supply seed, then I got a question that I want answered. I want to know how much seed. Anybody else? 
I, I, man, God, if you, if you say you will supply seed, then God, I need you to just kind of also inform me how much seed. How much seed you're going to give me? I need to know, is it, are you going to give me like millions, God? Are, 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 are you going to give me enough seed like hundreds of thousands? Are you going to give me like multiple homes? I need one on the beach. I need, I need one in the mountains. I, I, I need one on Broadway. I, 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 I need multiple homes. I need multiple cars. How much seed? God, come on, tell me. Tell me. Okay, you're not going to like his answer. Because he tells us. He, he, in black and white, some of y'all have been wondering all your life how much seed God's going to give you and bless you because you've been faithfully sowing. I need to know, God, how much you're going to give me. He tells us in black and white. He says that he will supply enough seed to share. Okay. <laughs> so here's the amount. I'm going to give you the exact amount. Are you ready? Go ahead and get your bank book out. You can write it down. I'm going to give you the exact amount about how much seed God's going to give. He will put enough in your hands. Here it is. That you can actually respond generously in every situation. That ain't Steve's words. That's not my thoughts. That's black and white scripture that God will provide enough seed in your life that you can be generous in every situation. Ooh, some of y'all don't like me right now. So, since he says that he will give us enough seed to be generous in every situation, then there's a conclusion that we must reach. And that is this. If we are not generous in every situation, it is not due to lack of seed. Anybody else think logically like I think? If scripture tells me, Steve, that God is going to give Steve enough seed that Steve can be generous in every situation. There's never a question. If I see a need, I've got enough seed to handle that need. Then I must also logically conclude that when I see a need and I don't respond generously, that it's not a seed issue. It's a heart issue. And it's whether or not we're willing to release the seed that God has given us plenty of, rather than consuming it and using it all for us. The, this promise, the promise is this, that he will pro provide enough to, to share and that should force us to stop and reconsider what we have and how we use it. I, I want to submit to you this morning that most of us have more than we need. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to wait until you, until you, I, I, this one, I'm going to wait on you. We got to embrace this. Most of us are not honest to admit or we take so much for granted that we refuse to admit. And I'm going to hit one other way here in just a second that's going to bother you. But let me just stop right here and park and say most of us have more than we need we simply don't want to share because we haven't recognized that many times what we have and what we're hanging on to so tightly 
is actually extra rather than essential. Now, listen, I know my audience. I'm talking to materialistic, consumer-driven Americans. And we become very satisfied with extra. And we call it essential. But the truth is, is it's not necessary for life. And we hang on to it, and we grasp it for our life. And we refuse to share, even though Scripture says, I'm going to give you enough ample supply so that you can respond in generosity in every situation, but I don't have enough. <laughs> okay, so let me give you my personal experience. The, the, um, the most uh, visible demonstration of this took place in my life. I, I want to say, um, and Julie could help me if I'm wrong, it doesn't really matter what year it was. We, did, we went to Guatemala two years in a row. That's where I met Pastor Luis. He was the missionary there. And on both occasions, one of the stops that we made was that he took us into Guatemala City. Guatemala City is the national capital, I guess, of Guatemala. I'm not that great on, on, on all, all that stuff. All I know is there are um, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands. And I think it's like when we went, it was like a million people living in that city. And we would go into the city and we'd go into the center of the city to the city dump. Anybody ever been to the Oklahoma City dump? Okay. Uh, come on, raise your hand if you've been to the city dump. Okay, most of you, not all of you. Uh, it's right down here on council. You can just keep going. You can usually spot it because of the birds in the air. It's decent size. It's, it's bigger than all of our property, probably four or five times bigger than all of our property piled high with trash. The difference is in Guatemala City, the dump is probably 15 or 20 times that size. And there are five, at that time, 5,000 families that lived, not around the dump, in the dump. You could see their little, their little huts. They'd, they'd gather uh, cardboard and, and tin and make little huts right there in the dump. And they lived right there. And we pulled down into the city dump. One of the most life-changing moments of my life, and I know for my kids, because it wrecked my kids. I took... Uh, 19 kids one time I think and 30 something the next time and we'd pull in and we'd get out and we'd walk down there in the dump and every time both both occasions as we're there the 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 dump trucks would pull in and they'd back into the center of the dump and they would raise the bed of the the big dumpster truck and it would begin to dump the the, the refuse and the garbage and the filth of the city and we would watch as children would stand under the dump truck and let it pour over them so that they could be the first to grab whatever scraps, whatever materials, whatever clothing they could get their hands on. And that's how they live. And we'd load back up in the van and as you can imagine, complete and total silence. For the next hour, hour and a half, I would watch seedy kids who were selfish and self-absorbed and self-centered and needed six Game Boys and uh, 82 Nintendos and had closets full of clothes. And I would watch them break down and cry and come home and empty out their closets. And I came home after spending time with Luis and realizing that he probably, at that time, 
had two pairs of jeans that he would alternate every other day because that's all he had. And I would walk into my closet and I would see the seven or eight or nine or, come on, let's be honest, some of us have 15 or 20 pairs of jeans that, or pants and, we, would, and we, we stand there for 15 seconds, 30 seconds, two minutes, five minutes, try them on, take them off, get another pair, put them on, take them off until we land on the one we want. And I suddenly realized that what I have is extra. It's not essential. And what I finally come to grips with and finally understand is that we're seedy. If you live in America, you're seedy. You don't even have to, for the most part, there are areas in America this is not true. But for most of you sitting under the sound of my voice and for most of the people that uh, that you know, They're seedy. Even if they're not Christians, they're seedy. They've got more than enough. But what I want to challenge you this morning is this. I want you to begin to think differently. You say, well, you don't want us to have anything. That's not what I said. I said God would give you stuff. I just said God would give you. He will supply seed. That ought to to encourage you. That ought to make you happy. You ought to walk out of here on a cloud of man. You ought to, woohoo. In fact, when you get to the restaurant, just look at your your waitress today and say, I want you to know that I'm the seediest person you're going to meet today. Uh, And then prove it when you give her the tip. I I just want to challenge you this morning to begin to look at what you have been given. Well, I earned it. Only because God allowed you to earn it. I want, I want you to, this is what, I believe that God has already done what he said he would do. I just think our issue is this, we fail to realize that he's done it. So we walk into our nice houses and we complain, I need a bigger house. We, we drive our cars home and we go, well, I'm not sure it's going to make it another four months. At least you got one. You walk into your closet and you're tired of wearing the same clothes over and over again because you wore that two months ago and somebody at church might remember. Y'all looking at me funny, but I, there are days I forget what I wore past Sundays. I have to go look at live stream and say, oh yeah, I wore that last Sunday. I can't wear that this Sunday. And I suddenly realize I'm stinking seedy, man. I, I just want to challenge you this morning. I want to dare you as seedy folks. I dare you. That, that when you go home, could, could we just do this? Could we just make a corporate, a corporate decision that all of us, we're just, regardless if you make uh, 20000 a year or 120000 a year, I don't know where you all fall. It doesn't matter. This levels the playing field. The, the, the question, the, the equation is not once you hit a certain level financially, then you become seedy. You are already seedy. So the, 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 the wealthiest person sitting in the room this morning and the poorest by society standards sitting in the room this morning were equal. Well, I don't have as much. Do you have enough? Because if you got enough, then God's already done what he said he would do. Okay, so this is the challenge. I want you to walk into your home And when you walk home, when you walk into your house, apartment, rental home, double wide, 
Doesn't matter when you walk in. But my house is not nice. Is there? Does not matter. When you walk in, I want you to stop. Will you? You got to help me. We got to do this today, okay? Because I'm not going to preach to them what we're not willing to do. I, when we walk in the door, I want you to stop and look. And I want you to see everything you see as seed. When you go to the bank this week and you find out that you've got a, this limited supply, or maybe you go to the bank and there's plenty. I want you to go to the bank differently this week. I want you to deal with the bank online. I want you to deal with the bank through the drive through the ATM machine. When you do whatever you do financially, I want you to stop for just a moment and go, what I see is seed. And I want to tell you this morning that God will give you enough seed and is good with you using your seed to take care of you and yours. He's good with that. In fact, we're instructed to take care of our own. But I also want to submit to you that if all of us would look at what we already have with the eye towards the fact that it's seed, I think what we would discover is that we have enough seed to share. See, when we start talking about money, people get nervous because they think, well, all we're talking about is tithes. Let's just take tithe off the table and let's go back to New Testament standards instead. Because some of y'all sitting here go, well, tithe isn't even a New Testament standard. That's great. Let's have that argument. Because in the New Testament, what it says they did, here's the standard. They sold everything and shared it with those in need. Because they recognized that it was seed. I think that we are the seediest people and that there is enough seed in our life to bless somebody else this season. And we'll never miss it. But here's the truth. Our ability to respond to the challenge that I've given you today to begin to see things as seed comes down to this one simple truth. And this is what we're going to wrestle through this morning. And I hope you will wrestle through the rest of the day. And that is our perspective of ourselves. Do you see yourselves as seedy or do you see yourselves as needy? I have made up a word in a long time. And it's about time. It's been like months, all right? I, I did not say, are you seedy or wanty? Because some of y'all just wanty. I'm wanty. There's some things I want. I don't necessarily need them. I just want them. But if my perspective would change, I would recognize that God has blessed me so much, I have to see myself as seedy rather than needy. And what better season than this season? Thanksgiving season, Christmas season, to walk around as seedy folks that are willing to share what God has blessed them with. But we got to see ourselves correctly. And so in the coming months, we're going to give you the challenge. In fact, on December the 15th, we're, uh, the, the skill level of some of the folks in this church blows my mind. With the blessing of some of the skill level, we're going to have a, a full-size sleigh out in our uh, lobby. And it, we're going to use it for pictures and stuff like that. But on December the 15th, because you're so seedy, we're also going to give you the opportunity to bring blankets and beanies. My parents looked at me and said, what's a beanie? It's a toboggan, all right? Different generation, different words. Beanie. It's a toboggan. We're collecting blankets and beanies 
and we're going to give them to folks in need. Then in January, when we're talking, I, man, I don't even want to let the cat out of the bag. We're doing a series called Six Foot Baby that I'm so excited about. Uh, Y'all don't even know, maybe the most, most important series we've done since climate change, if that gives you any reference. But during that series, we're going to take up diapers and we're going to give them to a, um, a home that's in Blanchard, I believe it is, where uh, single moms are choosing to keep to have their babies rather than abort their babies. And then throughout the course of this next year, I'm not going to let this cat out of the bag because I still don't have timing from the Lord yet. But the finance team has already begun to work towards this. We're laying seed aside so that we can help a sec segment of society that is in desperate need for help. And at some point when the Holy Spirit says, now I'm going to tell you about that next year and give you the opportunity. And together we're going to raise $75,000 and we're going to make it happen. So I just, why are you telling us now? So you won't consume all your seed on yourself. So you'll allow the Holy Spirit begin to talk to you in this season. You'll begin to put seed aside and say, that's more than I need. That's more than I need. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet, but that's more than I need. I'm going to lay it aside. And then when God says, I'm going to be generous on every occasion, not just the ones that pull on my heartstrings, not just the one that just push my buttons, but scripture says, I will have the ability to be generous at every occasion because we're seedy. I'm done. I, I, I want to remind you, if you didn't fill out a God's guarantee card, you say, well, Steve, I don't have enough. I don't think I have enough. Then I want to challenge you. If you didn't sign this, sign it. It's, it's out there on the table. And we, we want you to have the opportunity to sign it today and just, just give it to the green room. And it just simply says, I'm going to tithe faithfully. Give the first fruits of my life for the next 90 days. And test God like he says to. And I believe that it, he'll come through and give me more seed than I need. But if he doesn't, then I can come to the church and say, well, God didn't come through. And we'll give you everything back. All 90 days worth of your tithes and offering will money back guaranteed. Because we know God says he will supply your seed. Father, in Jesus' name this morning, I pray that you would convict us in our heart. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.